Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am absolutely thrilled to have with me today as my guest, Nancy M. Pemmental. Um, Nancy is on the new hit show, Shameless, which is on Showtime on Sunday nights at 10 o'clock. 10 p.m. 10 p.m. Great. Well, welcome, Nancy. Thank you, Jen. Let me tell you a little bit about Nancy. Nancy received her first of two Emmy Award nominations for her writing work on the iconic TV show, South Park, where she penned upwards of 20 scripts during her four seasons there. She was nominated for her second Emmy as the spunky, dry-witted co-host on Comedy Central's Win Ben Stein's Money. Preparing for a career in entertainment, Pimental, a Massachusetts native, naturally received a Bachelor of Science degree in chemical engineering from Worcester Polytechnic Institute. <laughs> Upon graduation, Nancy took the traditional steps towards furthering her engineering career by moving to Los Angeles and performing stand-up, sketch, and improv comedy. Her writing career began when she wrote a spec of South Park, and it landed in the hands of one of the show's creators. Around the same time, Pimental sold her first screenplay, The Sweetest Thing, starring Cameron Diaz, to Columbia Studios and wrote and produced her first TV pilot for Fox Television, starring Jenny McCarthy. Nancy continues to work in film and TV for Sony, Disney, NBC, Fox, and Showtime. Having been on all sides of the camera, Nancy is now taking her experiences and skills from the past 11 years as a writer, performer, and producer, and is applying them to directing. Nancy can work with any actor to get the performance she needs just as easily as she can talk to her crew and enlist their technical support to execute her vision. Nancy is a firm believer in collaboration and thinks that every person on set is a valuable asset to the filmmaking process. For this reason, Nancy creates a highly productive, efficient, and fun work environment, which results in heartwarming and comedic content. I love that. Wow, so I sound welcome. awesome. You sound way <laughs> I awesome. I am the coolest person. <laughs> I am so Jesus, honored. I want to meet me. <laughs> Wow. I have to say, when I heard your story at the Austin Film Festival, it fascinated me. Like, I was, it seemed like everything just fell into place for you at one time. Was that overwhelming? It was very, well, first of all, I have to say, I heard Chris Rock once on Oprah, and he said that he had a 14-year overnight success. So even though it did all fall into place, it took... The foundation was built. Five and a half years for it all to fall into place. Right. So it it seemed, when you you hear success stories, 
you're only hearing the isolated beginning of the success and not the everything the ramp that led up, up to it. Yes. Well, five and a half years is a good time yeah. for things to start really happening. Yeah. So that must have been exciting. So starting with the very first thing that happened. So you came out here. You did sketch comedy, improv. What was what was that experience? So I, as soon as I came out here, I met a bunch of people who were from Boston who w were doing sketch and improv comedy. So oh, within right. the first week, I met these people. That's where I'm from, Boston, and that's where I did improv comedy. Oh, so great. I just got I just got introduced to this whole comedy world and this whole comedy circle, and started performing. But you're not making any money doing it and you, for the love of the craft for the love of the yeah. craft but you're ma making a lot of connections and you're getting infused into the world which is what happened to me and so i met this producer through that the performing and i had written a script and i gave it to him and i have to say God love him, because the script was horrible. It was my <laughs> first movie script, and it was horrible. And he really just sat down with me and gave me notes and was not judgmental at all and really showed me in a constructive way what was good, what was bad, and what he thought. And he really he really encouraged me and, and gave me a lot of support. But... I think I have to give myself a lot of credit, too, because my attitude was I want to just learn. Tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's right. I, I have no expectations of this script. Just let me be a student and, and you teach me. And so I think that's it allowed him to, to do his job. Well, that was a good approach. It, I mean, it, when uh, everybody wants to be able to help guide and teach. And so I think when you open it up that way then it kind of gives them permission to go there. Right, but I think most people are not like that. Right. Most writers, and, right. and I have to say, I've right. gotten to the I've place of yeah. not reading people's scripts anymore because really? everybody just wants me to say, it's great and I'm going to give it to my agent and I'm going to give it to all these producers and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it made for you. Nobody. I have never, ever, ever met anybody who says, will you read this and give me constructive criticism? I want your feedback. I want to be a better writer. I want to get good. Nobody. And that, I think, is That's the difference advice, between... Though. It's, it's good the for difference people to yep, know. I yeah. think so, too. It's yeah. a difference between success and not. Because yeah. it ain't a one-hit wonder business. Like, yeah. You know, you really have to... You're not going to just write a script and suddenly overnight be successful. You're going to write a lot of crappy ones first and... And you have to learn that way, and then... And you have to learn. I mean, I think it, it is, I, I can certainly say, I, I think that that is a very big misconception. People come here, they think they have this great, phenomenal story. They think in one script, it's going to be a hit. Right. They're going to get a manager. They're going to get an agent. And, and I agree. I think that's a huge misconception. I think one in a million, mm -hmm. that does happen. And, and you hear those stories, but I would say... On the most part, it's it's a ton of hard work and failed scripts yep. before you hit the one that works. And, and I would even it. say the one in the million, if you really scratch the surface, they've probably written some something yes, before. Exactly. <laughs> it's just their PR twist. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So tell me um, about your story as you see it from, say, the beginning to this point. Oh, <laughs> so that during those five years that I was out here, 
I had a lot of a lot of survival jobs. It was waitressing, catering. I was a valet parker. I did that. You did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, we do steal change and make calls on your phone. <laughs> Except back then it was car phones. It wasn't even cell phones. It was like, I remember the big stand for the phone. Um and and I just I just pursued I pursued the show and I pursued the business. I constantly stayed creative and I constantly pursued the business end of it. So I would always be writing and generating material, but I would also spend a good portion of the day making phone calls or or sending out letter letters of inquiry. In, well, let me just say, let me back up for a second. Uh because I was also pursuing performing and acting as well. So right. I could, I, it was, it was, I had more ground that I could cover as far as sending out my headshot and, mm -hmm. and, or, or comedy tape because I was also looking to perform and write as well. So I would send, um, I would send letters out and I would send, I would make phone calls and I would keep a log of all of the, the business stuff I did and, I would keep track of what people said to right. me. Oh, oh I think that's great. call me next week. Yeah. So I'd make a note. Okay, I got to call that person on Monday. Or, um, and my attitude always was until somebody point blank said to me, "No, we're not interested." I just, I just stayed on them in a non-pestering kind of way. Right. And uh, so you were assertive. I was, you, yeah. Yes. You created your destiny. I created. You were my, a partner in it. Yes, yes. absolutely. Uh, but without being, without holding on to one idea or one person of how it should look like or what it should be, um, and without being needy and desperate, and mm -hmm. and 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 putting without putting any power in somebody else's hand, which is really hard because you really need somebody else to help you have success but you have to energetically not give it all to them no I think that's a very good point and I think a lot of women coming to LA need to hear this because mm -hmm. I think it it is something whether you're a male or a female I think giving your energy away coming off desperate coming off needy is uh it, it's all about if you write and you write a lot and you believe and you have confidence in what you're doing, then that energy should project because that's what will help sell you mm -hmm. versus the the just not wanting to do the work but expecting the rewards. Right. You know, so I think that definitely transfers. Um, now, with South Park, and I'm fascinated with that story, um, so I know you received two Emmy nominations on that, and I want to hear about that. How did you, so South Park, you gave them a spec script of South Park. Right. So I was, uh, I was on the road in, during that five and a half years, I was on the road. One of the things I was doing was stand-up comedy. I was on the road doing stand-up comedy, and I had seen South Park had premiered, so I was in one of my little crappy little hotel rooms in mm. some random town in in the northwest of the United States and I saw South Park and I thought oh my god here's my show this is my voice and what was happening prior to that was I was getting a lot of attention from doing stand-up but people were also confused by me because I have a very edgy sensibility and they 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 
there wasn't a lot of edgy programming back then or or especially from women right and especially from an attractive woman right so for a, a woman an attractive woman to be saying yes the kind of things I was saying people there were a lot of people who were were very encouraging and they liked me but they would point blank say I don't know what to do with you and then I also did have plenty of people say to me I don't think a woman should be talking the way you're talking and they were fascinating. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've I kept it. I kept a track of those names as well in my little business journal. So when I saw South Park, I thought, oh, somebody is doing my Someone voice, gets me. Somebody does get me. It's, <laughs> it's out there. Somebody has 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 paved the way. And a whole series of events and people meeting and 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 uh and circumstances led me to meet somebody who was the who was for one episode the executive producer on the show. He ha- he happened to be from Boston. I met him through this weird roundabout kind of way. Right. And he said to me, I mentioned how I thought South Park was great, and he said to me, "You should write a spec of that show because they're looking for writers. They cannot find any writers," which was shocking to me because one of the things I thought was that. I had all these misconceptions about the show when I saw it. Right. I thought that it must be fully staffed because it's such a hit show that they must have a full staff. I thought it was shot in, I thought that they were staffed and shot in Colorado because that's where the show takes place. And I just thought that it was just an impossible goal, that Mm -hmm. it was way out of my reach, having never been on staff before. And... So when he said to me that they couldn't find any writers and that it was the they, they they produced the show on the west side of Los Angeles and that they were hurting desperate for people I took that opportunity and I wrote a spec script of the show and I got a lot of resistance from that and people told me they didn't think it was funny and that that if they turned it into to South Park it would just land in a pile of thousands of others and I wouldn't I would never wow. get hired and so I had to uh rifle through a lot of rejection and I eventually got it to them and they called right away and said that they thought it was the funniest spec that they had read and I love it that out of all the scripts that I was the one that captured the voice of the show and they wanted to meet me and so within a couple of days, I was meeting Matt and Trey, and they said, okay, That's now we amazing. would like to to uh, hire you to to write one episode, and if we like that one episode, because we want to make sure this is not a fluke, right? and if we like that one episode, then we will put you on staff. Very interesting. I know NCIS did that. At times, they had them write an episode first or pitch an episode before. Yeah, that is, I think that's fantastic. And what was, like, say, take us into your first day uh, in the writer's room uh, on that show. Once I got, well, there was no writers. Really? There was no writers. So it was Matt and Trey, and there was a friend of Trey's, this guy who, uh, Trey pulled out he that he went to high school with and he was he was an English lit major and was teaching Hemingway in the mountains of Colorado and he said hey come out here I need some writers so he was kind of fumbling this guy was fumbling his way trying to learn scripts and 
then we also had one other person who was kind of a consulting producer writer who was working on just shoot me so she was not she was not a a fully staffed person at all so that was it they had nobody else wow so when i so that's why you got 20 episodes in four years the first the first season i wrote six of the 18 you know co trey always then took his pass so i don't want to take full credit right he he would take his pass what a great experience for a first-time staffing experience i know and four seasons i I mean that's huge yeah yeah and then as time went by then we because what happened was uh myself and this guy who was uh who was the the friend of trey's from high school he and i then led up the team to try to find new writers so we would take all the time to to read scripts and interview people and and so then we after the years were going by we we did get a full staff but the first year there was not anybody else except did you go to places like stand-up comic houses i mean did you did yeah. you go to comedy stores and and look for talent that way or? no no we just got submissions because the show was so hot and so right. iconic that right we got a lot of submissions uh and did you find that some of them did have stand-up comedy in their background or were you one of the only ones who had that I don't remember to be honest I wonder. with you. Who on staff. Oh, that's interesting. I think there was uh, there was always we always had quirky writers who had ca- performing right. performing backgrounds. Okay. Or, yeah. And how was being an attractive woman in the stand-up comedy world in which I have to admit in the little that I've experienced is full of a lot of very angry men. <laughs> what was that experience All of whom like? I dated. <laughs> oh my god, I dated every stand-up comic. Uh, I liked it a lot because mm-hmm. I, here's my attitude and I think that this is the this is the 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 pitfall a lot of women fall into. I do not look at gender. I look at talent mm-hmm. and I don't come across leading with my gender right I come across leading with my talent right and maybe it's because my gender leans more I have a very boy sensibility and I have I have a tomboy attitude right so maybe that's why it's easier for me to say that because I um I have I was raised all around boys I went to an engineering school which was all men 75% 75% men in an engineering school and then getting in the comedy yeah I'm just I've been always very comfortable around men so I've never felt like I've I have to prove myself as a woman at right. all right. ever 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 it's I think never... that's a blessing yeah it really it is it is a blessing because I've definitely had female writers in here who have said the complete opposite who have said I don't care what anyone says it's very felt in the writers room. So <sighs> it is all. I I definitely believe that energy comes from inside. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think there are certain rooms where that dynamic is you feel it, but I also think it comes from the individual versus necessarily the room at all times, but I also think there are certain writer rooms that are more difficult, more challenging in the gender sense. I do <sighs> I, 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 I suppose it's true. I also I, I think it's I think it's a two way street. I think it's the way the men hold the energy and it's the way the women hold the energy. Right. And I you know, I feel lucky because I know how to like, for example, in our shameless room, we um, I mean, it's it's half and half. Mm-hmm. Well, we there's six writers and then John Wells. So it's 
there's four guys and three women. But when we come in, especially on a Monday, those guys, all they're talking about is football. Right. And then they'll springboard into some other guy topic for like a half hour. And I'll just look at them and I'll go, there is not one thing that any of you guys have said that has been of any interest to me. And I can get away with it just right. because it's my personality. And right. maybe because when I was, when I was um, in Boston, I gave tours of Boston on a trolley and I had to deal with thousands of tourists every single day. So I learned how to say anything to anyone at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, I, like, I could make fun of anybody in a very fun, playful way. And I remember telling this one woman that. And then she tried to do the same. Like, I said something about the British, like, oh, you know, something about us winning this country from them and how does it feel and we'll go back and drink tea or whatever. I mean, whatever I'm paraphrasing now is right. so, not, so not funny. Right. But she did the same thing and it just came out angry and hateful. And it's... I just think it's, it's your, all in it, the delivery. It, it's all in your delivery yeah. and how you hold your energy and what your intention is behind it. But so I don't know. It's I just it hasn't been my experience at all. Right. But I have heard stories and I do wonder how I would fare. I, I just think, you know what it is? I think that until because I have a lot of guy writer friends and sometimes I get very shy around them because they're it's so big and loud and male. And I've. I just don't choose to participate until I feel like I've won a place. And I, right. Until I've won my place to be able to participate. And I feel like it's, it's again, it goes back to that thing of people trying too hard. Mm-hmm. Until you've earned your place and right. know your audience, right. stay still. And, and understanding the temperament of the room. I mean, that's yeah. great advice. I mean, really. Knowing your audience. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, even if it means a group of friends. Like, knowing what it is. Yeah. Being able to adjust to each situation. And I think your stand-up background probably yeah. lent to that. Yeah, really and understanding your audience yeah. and the trolley. And the trolley. Yeah, it's no, I think audience. that's great. All right, with that, we are going to take our first break. We are here with Nancy Pemmental, who is a producer on this Showtime hit show, Shameless. Uh, we will be back in a moment. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Nancy Pemmental from Shameless. Um, I loved this pilot i i i love the show like i'm so excited <laughs> about the possibility and the potential right. of this show so yeah. tell me how everything came into being how you got staffed on it what they read of yours what it's like working in the room there uh well john wells bought the rights to the british series many years ago mm-hmm. and about three years ago i was called in to meet him, John, uh, because he wanted to hire one or two people to help him Americanize the show and punch up the script because this was a whole new territory for him doing comedy. 
So we met, we got along really well, and he hired myself and Mike O'Malley. Mm-hmm. Do you know Mike O'Malley? Of course, he's, yeah. He's uh, one of the dads on Glee, and he's a Great. big actor, too. So Mike and I, periodically, for two I years... I forgot he's an act. He was uh, the dad on Glee. Yeah, okay, he was wow. nominated for an Emmy. Great. Yeah. He's Great. down in uh, New Orleans right now. Um as Miley Cyrus's dad. Oh, yeah. great. So he's a writer on our show, too. Uh-huh. So he, John Wells hired Mike and myself to come in and just help him. Just periodically. It was very freelance. It was consulting job. It was one of the balls in the air that I had at the time. And he would have, we would just sit around for a few hours and come up with punch lines and ways that we could make it more American because there was a lot of just a lot of British social commentary in in the series and uh, a lot of British isms and things that needed to be changed. So we would spend a few hours with John or sometimes even a week with him and then he would send us off and go have a nice life and he would do changes and then weeks or a month or two later we'd get a call hey i did some changes on the script can you guys read it because he was trying to sell it yeah and he would just keep us abreast of the situation but he never he never promised i never knew if i was going to have a job or not on the show but he always actively kept me involved and i would see him at functions and he would always bring it up i never brought it up and he would just keep me updated and then last year in January, he called and said that he sold it to Showtime. He cast it. He, they were doing a table read. They were about to go shoot it. And would I come to the table read and stay afterwards because Showtime would have some notes probably on the script and would I help him with that? So he called my Mike and uh, me to do that. And That's amazing. Yeah. So I love that process. I know. I mean, it's funny. Like when you think about – the iconic level of John Wells, one would think that, oh, he wants to do a show. It's going to happen. You wouldn't think that he would have all of this pre-process. Oh, yeah. I think it's, that's And great. he was supposed, originally he wanted to sell it to HBO. And that was where there was high, high promise. And then all of a sudden he emailed us or called, I can't remember, and said Showtime, I mean, HBO passed on it. So I thought the project was dead. That yeah. was probably about seven or eight months before I got the, the Showtime right. call, you know, the call saying that he had sold it to Showtime. So yeah, I just assumed it was just dead because there's not a lot of homes for a show like that. Right. So then we went to the table read and we stayed afterwards and listened to the Showtime notes. And then he asked us to stay and help him implement them into the script and punch it up any more that it needed. And and then that was it. Well, you know what I love about that? I mean, that's a very collaborative process yeah. for the pilot. So yeah. certainly the excitement of all of that was something you could all share I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I have to say it's a really smart way to work to, yeah. to hire people to support you and help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did, you know, he did the legwork. But he, I hear that Judd Apatow does that too. If I remember correctly, Matthew Weiner did that too with Mad Men. Oh. If I remember correctly, he hired one of the girls, who I'm not sure if it's still on there, but who he hired. Uh, was it Nancy? Is it Nancy Vyth or uh, Robin Vyth? He hired, uh, I believe it is Robin Vyth. Don't not positive, but I believe it was her. And he hired her to help him with the pilot. Now it was an eight-year process oh, before wow. the pilot 
all of a sudden fell in the hands of an AMC executive for staffing and then became Christina Wayne. Yes. 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 Oh, was that who was? Yeah. Okay, great. Oh, good. No, shout out to Christina. That's huge. (laughs) We love you because, boy, that's an excellent, excellent show. But it it was a fascinating thing to me because he was at the Writers Guild with Robin at that time talking about that process. So I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, and, and so going into the concept, okay, so you knew that you guys were adapting from a British show. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean for the writing process? Like as far as implementing your own voice within a show that has already been established? Well, it, when, when we were finally staffed, there were, John, his attitude was, we can keep everything or we can throw it all away. It doesn't matter. He was open to however organically the process unfolded. So we probably spent about two months before we even wrote a word, just sitting there at just meeting three times a week and coming up with ideas and talking about the things we liked and talking about the things that worked in the British series and what we would love to keep and, uh, and we just started writing on a on dry erase boards and our little writer's assistant putting it into a computer and and deciding what we liked and what we didn't like. So uh, some of it, some of the half the I would say half the episodes are strongly based on the British series and half of them have absolutely nothing other than the characters who the characters are have nothing to do with the British series. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And now I have to say with the pilot, as I sent you that article that I had written paralleling it with Cinderella and and, and Steve and Fiona's story, I mean, was that any of the thing? Did you see that when you guys were forming, formulating that? No, it's that? a good analogy. Uh, no. Which I love. I know. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we did, I feel like, deviate from the... In the British series, they were... They hooked up like they did in the pilot. I mean, the pilot's almost p- pretty exact, right. obviously, other than the Americanization and the, some of the comedy. Uh, they hooked up, and they were kind of a couple, and he was just sort of a fam- part of the family in the, in the uh, British series. Um, and they would have their tensions, but we decided to really make it more a, a character study for Fiona that she is from the other side of the the tracks and she does struggle with trusting and why would this person want to come into her life and stay in her life and and uh her journey and her her character development around all that we really consciously wanted to explore it's fantastic i mean i like the idea of a kind of flawed cinderella modern day version Mm. of someone who has suddenly been thrust into this role of all this responsibility and mm-hmm. taking care of the family. And then in comes Prince Charming yep. and her approach to it is just so, so well done. And I, I, I like the hint in the pilot of her being codependent and her needing people to right. need her. Right. Uh, I, I thought it was great yeah. and added so much flavor. Yeah. Definitely. You know, really, yep. really terrific. Now, Looking at, so you guys are done with the season, yeah, 13 episodes? 12. 12, mm-hmm. okay. And what was it like going through that journey? What do you feel about where the show was, where the show is, where the show's going? Well, it's funny because I 
just the, the first of my three episodes just aired this past weekend and I was watching Very it. exciting. I know. Well, and I wrote episode 11, mm-hmm. which we just finished shooting a couple of weeks ago. And I thought when I was watching episode three, which aired this past weekend, I thought, wow, it's so weird to see them at that stage. Yeah. It, and heighten everything I know, where they go and how far the stories go and where all the characters go. It felt like watching freshmen and I've already been through grad school with these right. characters. Right. And, and so it, it was kind of this weird, surreal, like I could see into the past and see into the future kind of feeling about it because these characters really go on a journey. I feel like I would get very close to these characters. Yeah. I feel like they would become, because, you know, I what I love at the core of all of it is there's dysfunction in every family and just what level of dysfunction is there. And at the end of the day, it's still a family, you know, and, and I think that's fantastic family meaning even the friends that are included within that. I mean, I, I think, I, I think that's great. I, I I do. I think it's great now going into the editing process. Mm -hmm. So what is, so you're on a show, which I know not all shows do, but I love when I hear shows that do, which you can be a part of Mm -hmm. because you're a producer Mm -hmm of of editing and and what is that experience well actually to be honest with you john does allow even the our story editor Mm -hmm. on his episode that says a lot about john i have to say john has mentored he mentored one of my very very close friends who is deborah khan who's on gray's anatomy Mm -hmm. and i heard tremendous things Mm -hmm. about him which i love to hear because i have to admit in this business mentors are almost a thing of the past mm-hmm. so and i actually my old assistant is on his show southland chitra, oh. chitra sampath oh. yeah yeah okay yeah he's he he he's a really good mentor that way i've learned so much it's crazy how much my writing has changed just in this short time being on the show uh yeah so he he allows us so what happens is the obviously the editor puts his or her cut together and then the director comes in for three or four days and then John and the writer if the writer wants to gets to go into the 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 edit bay and take a look at the cut and give feedback now do you guys does the writer go on set yes great and so it's filmed here it's filmed predominantly here. We do film a little bit in Chicago as well. Great. Mm-hmm. Great. Where and it takes place. What, uh, what are the actors like? They're awesome. Great. They're, yeah. It's, it's crazy how loving and sweet and wonderful our cast and crew are. And I'm not just saying that because we're being recorded right now. There were the, the crew, when we were rapping, all said, usually when I'm done with a show, I can't wait to have the time off. I, I'm so excited and I'm so psyched to get away. All the crew across the board said that they were all feeling melancholy and they really were heartbroken that, that the show was ending. And I think it's just uh, a testament to the, 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 you know, the trickle down. John yeah. really sets a tone. He doesn't allow any yelling. And he doesn't allow any cell phones on set, and he doesn't. Uh, everybody, there's no sides on set, and there's no last looks. So everybody shows up to work, and they're prepared to go at any second. Oh, I think so that's fantastic. It's just a really yeah. easy, yeah, non diva right. environment. Yeah, 
Oh, I think that's great. And I, I have to say, I think that shows on the screen because yeah. I look at it and, and usually, I don't know. I mean, there was something that so excited me about the pilot because it was so different. It was such an interesting twist. And I was so drawn to the characters. And that was like to establish that in a pilot is hard. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the greatest challenges. So kudos to you guys. And I look very much forward to see where it all goes. Yeah. Very, it's very crazy excited. where Yay. it goes. Crazy Yay. relationships that you can't imagine. Because the twist in the pilot about him not maybe being who she thought he was, I yeah. thought was great. Oh, wait till ah. that's just that's just the tip I of just skimmed the surface, yeah, right? Please. Okay. Good. Love that. All right. So getting into the idea that everything kind of hit at once. And mm -hmm. I know that you had many years going into it before, and I think that was great for you to say. But you had South Park and The Sweetest Thing and then a pilot. Mm -hmm. at, what was the time frame? And oh. I was on Win Ben Stein's Money, too. I was doing all four things at once once I finally hit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It was wow. crazy. It was crazy. I don't know how I did it either. So, well, what happened was South Park, South Park happened first. And what was great about South Park was they were still figuring, we didn't really have a traditional schedule or traditional writer's room. We, um, we were kind of on call all the time, I guess, because the schedule was just so erratic. Uh, so I got paid every week, but it was more as needed because it's you know because it's being animated at the same time right we don't ship out the animation to another country we do it in-house oh, so it was kind of like let's write a script let's animate it oh this isn't working or come in and watch this piece of animation so it was just it was much more um kind of fluid and 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 in this like you know amoeba state and so it gave me a big chunks of time to work on other things. Oh, that's fantastic. So yeah. I always say that I got paid by South Park to write The Sweetest Thing because what happened was Matt and Trey were doing the South Park movie and we were, I was still getting paid on South Park, but they needed to go write the movie. So they took about three months off. We were still on salary. So I wrote The Sweetest Thing during that time. That's why I joke that it, I got paid to write it. And I sold it and then... When I sold that, and because I was on South Park, then uh, Warren Littlefield had just left being the president of NBC, uh -huh. and he got a producing deal, and I met with him, and he wanted he gave me a blind deal Great. to do my first pilot. Oh, my gosh. And then all around that time, uh, Debbie Liebling, who was the president of Comedy Central at the time, she was loving the, the scripts I was turning in for South Park, and she said, I would love for you to develop something for us. And I said, well, I would like to actually be in whatever I develop, because don't you see that pile of stand-up tapes on your desk that I sent you over the years <laughs> right. that probably were never watched? And she that was the first she heard that I wanted to perform. And right at that time, Jimmy Kimmel was leaving Win Ben Stein's Money to go do the man show. And so she said, well, why don't you audition for to replace Jimmy? Oh my gosh, so that's fantastic! That wow, happened at once, and somehow I managed. What was the time commitment on that? Organizationally, to do it was that it night. Was, no, the Win Ben Stein's money. Mm -hmm. No, we shot we shot three to four shows a day, five days a week for ten weeks straight. We did a hundred and ninety five hundred because it's a strip show. So whatever five times fifty two is that it? That so, is no. absolutely incredible. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah. yeah. And um, 
All right, so you did performing, you did writing, you did you did TV, you did features. What was your experience with the sweetest thing? Now I know, like in TV, the writer has a lot of power. Right. What did you experience being a writer <laughs> <laughs> in features? The, the absolute opposite. Yes, uh, it, I. Uh, wrote that script on spec and it was a very glorious experience and then when we brought the uh, director on here's what the challenging thing was and I think this is the challenging thing in any project movie or television because I actually just had a challenging experience with this in tv as well when you bring on a director who's a writer it's very very challenging especially a, a director writer who gets hired a lot to do rewrites right they have a very challenging time taking off their writing hat and just putting on their directing hat right and I just had this with one of my episodes I'm really good friends with the guy now but we had a lot of struggles in, in on Shameless because he and he's genius he's one of the most prolific writers in town he gets giant money right but he has not directed he's only this was only his second thing that he directed wow and he um he would constantly give me notes on the script and the notes were genius because he's a genius but i had already done so many drafts of the script it's television things move super fast so it, the notes he's giving me I have to turn them around in a couple of hours because there's a whole process of it having to go through mm -hmm. the script coordinator and it has to go through John Wells and it, it, 75 copies have to go out, you know, new pages to actors. So it, I, I, we would have so many fights and I would, I would finally one morning, I woke up at six in the morning because I had so much stress and anxiety and I wrote him an email and I said, you can't do this anymore. You have to put on your director's hat. So I, I sort of went off on a sidetrack. I have I'm in the place now where I could say that I was such a baby writer at the time on the movie that I didn't have the experience or the confidence to to have that kind of communication with my director. So it was very challenging because he was also a writer and wanted to give me a lot of notes and also would take his own pass at things as well. Right. In a in a in a strong way. So that. It was really challenging. I like how you handled those scenarios, though, and I like that you can see your own growth as a writer because yeah. I think, certainly I think from what I understand from all the featured people who I've interviewed, they are just two different worlds. Like yeah. the writer in the feature world just does not carry the weight. So I think even if you had had the confidence to have had a stronger relationship with the director, the director still would have had a very strong arm on the project, especially because it was your first feature. Right. You know, so I think there's a, a power struggle on that. But I like what you touched upon, which I think is great for people to just be aware of because – you know, you create your own destiny, you manage your own emotions. And I think in in the world of art and craft and writing and expression, it's your baby. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody else is is kind of strong arming what is yours, I, I think it is important at a certain point in time when it's very late in the process to be making those changes, I think it's great that you stood your own and that yeah. you said that. Yeah. And I, I think that's 
wonderful because I, I can say through being the writing instructor for NBC's Writers on the Verge and through working with hundreds of writers and helping launch their careers, I think everybody's, I think taking notes and understanding how to hear notes, how to implement notes, and how to stand your ground mm-hmm. when maybe you don't agree with mm-hmm. the note. And and it, it's it's an art. It is an mm. art. Just as I think giving notes is something that like anything in life, you, the, the, the more you do, the better you get. And, and you have to understand how to deliver them in a way that they're going to be heard mm-hmm. versus having a wall. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I, I think I love that you brought that up because I, I think that's important for people for people to know. Okay, so um, so now you're going into directing. Tell me, <laughs> tell me, because I, I think it's so, I love that because I think that um, female directors, I thought it was hard for writers, and I think female writers have made such headway. Female executives in the studios and the networks have made tremendous head wave but I have to say one area that females have not made as much head wave as I would like is directing mm. so what has your experience been so far well I only have one experience and it kind of fell into my lap and I got the, the I got bitten by the bug by this one experience and I I'd love to do more and I'm I, that's that's what I'm in the process of figuring out now is what taking all of what I did over the past 10 or 11 years in my writing career and in pursuing it and now how to apply that to, to directing. Um, I'm, I'm feel very green and right. trying to figure it out. It's funny to be a, a newbie again, but what happened was a couple of years ago, a friend of mine uh, is from college. He's a big, uh, marketing guy and he was working for the world wildlife fund and they were doing a lot of online ads that were very hard hitting about the environment. And they decided that they wanted to do a humorous one. And so he said, oh, I have the person that we should call. And he said, would you ever be interested in doing a, a funny ad? And and he kind of gave me the scenario and I just pitched something off the top of my head because that's what I'm constantly doing always where we all have a thousand ideas that we'd like to have an ear to li- that would listen to our ideas. And he was he said, oh, my God, that's so perfect. That's exactly the kind of thing they're looking for. Let me get back to you. So I didn't think much of it. Again, another ball in the air. And so then he calls me back and he said, they loved, I pitched them your idea and they loved it. And will you come out to Washington and pitch it to them? And I was oh, like, okay. That is great. So I suddenly, and, and I thought, I, I didn't know anything about this world at all. So I thought, okay, I should probably, I hear that in commercials, people have storyboards. So I hired a storyboard artist and wrote, I wrote a script basically and hired a storyboard artist and had her draw it up, literally having no idea what I was doing. And I went to Washington. I think that's amazing. And I was in this room with all these big wigs from the World Wildlife Fund, and we're talking about the pandas, not the wrestlers. Right. And uh, <laughs> I just was holding up my my storyboards, and I was telling them what I thought, and they loved it. And they said, 
I think it's fantastic. Will, yeah. will you be able to do this? And they didn't they they didn't get Hollywood at all. So that when they were like, will you be able to do this? And it took them about a week before they they actually committed. I mean, we talked in the room about what the commitment would look like, and they barely had a, they barely had a, a, a money for the. Um, for the for the production, I mean, they they had a significant amount to do it, but not a ton. And um, they said, "Could you do it for this amount?" And and they didn't know what "do it" meant. So mm-hmm. I just thought, "Wow, I'm going to direct this," because they have no idea whether I have any talent or not, right? Or that whether I like they don't get how Hollywood works. They just right. think, "Here's idea, do give it. to person, person generates it." And right. and coincidence, just a weird series of coincidences. I happen to be around that time. I was in Durango, Colorado. And I ran into an old friend from the trolleys that mm-hmm. I used to drive in Boston. Right. And he was a commercial producer in Manhattan. And I was telling him about this. And he said, well, why don't I produce it for you? I, if you want to shoot it in Manhattan, I'll produce it for you. And I'll crew it up. And we'll, we'll work with that, that uh, smallish budget. And I said, okay, great. I'll let you know if it happens. And all of a sudden, they were calling me up and saying, okay, we'd like to move forward. And suddenly... My friend that I hadn't seen in ten years, we were partnering up on something, and we we shot it in in uh, Staten Island on a boy. There was a Boy Scout camp in in Staten on the middle of Staten Island. Who would know? There was a lake, and we, all of a sudden we were shooting this. How many days was the shoot? The shoot was only one day. We oh, wow. prepped for a week, and great. And he was because, it scary. You know, it was and it wasn't. Thankfully, because I've been on enough sets and I've so acted my yeah. whole life and I've been on, on stage my whole life, I know how to communicate with people. What I was nervous about was the, the, the you know, the union guys, you right. know, like the, the gaffer and the right. grip and that were like, were they going to take me seriously? Were right. they going to just, were they going to be able to see through me? I knew I could deal with the actors and I knew I could deal with the DP, um, and just the day and making my day and the time, but I just I I just didn't I didn't know what it would be like working with, and it was great. Everything about it was amazing and beautiful and seamless, and and then I got the bug. So I, think that's I fantastic. am yeah. Uh, yeah, just trying to figure that out now. Well, and I think as a writer, uh, as an actor, as as um, being able to put all of that into. Yeah is going to be huge. And I think um, certainly as you have leverage going up the ladder as a writer. I think so too. I'm going to talk to John you, yes. about it. And he knows I want to yeah. direct. So, yeah. uh, well, and then you shadow other directors. I, I've already had yeah, yeah, that's shadow great. him. That's already. great. So he knows, he definitely knows. And we'll, it'll be a bigger conversation with when the time when comes. The time comes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, I think it's good for everybody to be aware of this because I, I, I'm going to say every so much of your story I love. And I think it's very empowering for writers to recognize, you know, belief in self, belief in talent, belief in voice, doing the work, writing, 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 and, and creating opportunity, mm-hmm. which it sounds like at every turn, you have done. You had time yeah. on South Park, and what did you do? You wrote a feature. Right. You know, so it was utilizing every single point of your career, getting you to the next point. Right. And I, I think that's phenomenal. I do. Yeah. I and it's, it's saying really yes. I, I, uh, you know, it's funny. I'm just thinking back. I had forgotten this. The guy who ended up being the DP on the commercial, 
I went I, I went to a restaurant one night and I was I was a I was it was on the west side and my friends always give me a hard time because they always have to come to me because I live in Hollywood and I never want to go to the west side and they called me up and they said do you want to come to the west side I was like sure and they were shocked so we went to this restaurant on the west side and as soon as I walked in I saw a woman who I had met who had a party a few weeks ago that I had just met it was a friend of a friend. Uh, who knew this woman and I saw her and she said oh remember me I had that party and here's my husband did you meet him at the party and I said no I, I never did which was strange that I didn't and she said oh he's an amazing DP if you ever need him and I said actually I do need a DP and he ended up flying himself out to New York on his own dime and putting himself up in a friend's apartment and bringing all of That's his great. own camera. He had all of his, so we didn't have to rent any camera equipment oh because he gosh. brought all of it. And he was excellent at what he did. And he became my DP because I said yes. I mean, it sounds so silly, but I said yes to going to the West Side to have dinner with my friends. <laughs> well, relationships are everything in this town. And yeah. it's learning how to utilize. And I love the story of your running into the guy you hadn't seen in 10 years yeah. who you drove trolleys together. Yeah. I mean, collaboration. In Durango, is, Colorado. Yeah. You like, just never know what yeah. all these relationships are going to mean. I, th I think that's fantastic. Now, um, okay, for our last question. So thinking about your whole journey, um, the idea of if you were to start your career today, mm. uh, meaning giving advice to writers who are just beginning mm -hmm. the journey, what would you say? I would say put your energy on your voice and who you are, who you want to be and how you want to be expressed in this world. I think that is the most important thing to focus on. Don't put your focus on... The focus on anything else should be the smallest part of the pie. The biggest part of the pie is who are you, who are you? because every single person has a unique voice and a unique way of expressing and get in touch with that. I think that's excellent. I would say one of my... Um a seminar that drew a lot of attention is called Finding Your Voice. Mm. So I think, and it's always fascinating for me to talk to writers and say, at what point did you find your voice? Mm -hmm. And I love that you said, it sounded like at the very beginning when you saw South Park, mm -hmm. that's my voice. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was young in your career mm -hmm. for you to understand or have a, an inkling. Yeah, it was funny. It was probably about a year before I was doing stand-up comedy and I, I, all I remember was suddenly something hit me where I said, oh, wait a minute. They have to come to me. I don't have to go to them anymore. Meaning I didn't have to overextend anymore. Mm -hmm. that, that if I just stayed on me, it would magnetize the right people to me. It was, it was I can That's still amazing. feel uh, what yeah. that felt like. Yeah. But I, what you just said is so spiritual and so zen mm. i mean it's the idea of if you come from your core and your truth comes out then everything else will yeah connect. it just lines up yeah i think that's great well i want to thank you so much you've thank been you. an absolutely amazing guest and your story is is just incredible and empowering and inspirational and i think my listeners are going to love hearing it 
Wish you best of luck Thank with you. the directing and Thank Shameless you. and can't wait to see what happens next. Oh, yeah. Stay tuned. Yes. Thanks for having me. This has been great. You got it. My pleasure. And we are out with Nancy Pemmental, who is a producer on the new hit show Shameless with Showtime. This is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. and StoryWise Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions.